Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on the culture of siblings. So Scott, last week we talked about the culture of friendship that Paul really encouraged his churches to foster and how from the ancient world and the concepts of uh, friendship that were present there, that there are qualities that Paul seems to trace. But he didn't use the word friendship. He used the word sibling. And I wonder, Scott, what what's the difference between siblings and, and friendship relationships that um, Paul talks about in his letters? It's a very interesting um, question, and it is something that I think uh, we need to think about a little deeper in pastoral ministry and in churches. Um, Just a a brief summary of what we said last week is that Paul had a number of people in his circles. He names dozens of people in his letters, Um, and they all seem to be, a lot of them seem to be pretty close to him like Timothy, Titus, uh, even Phoebe, uh, Epaphras. These people are closely connected to Paul and would have been perceived in his world as friends. And yet, and friendship was a huge discussion. Aristotle wrote an essay. Plutarch wrote. Cicero was writing. uh, All these people are writing about friendship. And Paul does not write an essay on friendship like his like these uh, major thinkers in the classical world. And yet he also never calls his close associates friends. And this got me to thinking at one point in my own study, because I thought friendship was a pretty good, uh, because of the intensity of the work on friendship by people like Aristotle, I thought friendship would be a pretty good Uh, entryway into Pauline understanding of pastoral relationships and pastoral work. And yet the absence of that term for Paul made me say, well, okay, what Aristotle said about friendship, Paul embraced some of this. And what the ancients said about friendship was not against what Paul was doing. But why did he not call these people my friend Timothy? He calls him my son, um, uh, my child. Um, Why does he do this? Well, the most common term in the New Testament for the church is not the word church. The most common term in the New Testament for the relationship of believers is brothers and sisters or brothers and what I often just call as siblings. This is the term Paul chose to describe his relationship with other believers in the churches. They were siblings. So Paul moved the relationship out of the voluntary, outside-the-house world of friendship and put the relationship of believers in Jesus Christ, the church, into the house into the family, and he referred to one another as siblings. So the fundamental category for Paul, for the fundamental relationship, becomes love, which um, I've been working on since 
the early 1990s, um, which means that's quite a long time ago, Chad. Um, <laughs> so um, you're saying you got everything about love figured out, Scott? No, I'm not saying that, but I have been working on, on definitions and working from the Jesus Creed book of 1994 on. Mm. I've been working on this. And before that, because I was working on the book before it was published, um, is that I see love as a rugged, affective commitment to another person that involves physical presence or embodied presence with the other person. It involves advocacy for that person and their advocacy for you. And it involves direction or a teleology or virtue growth. And that is they grow in Christ likeness. Yeah. Paul saw that as the fundamental relationship. And while that overlaps with Aristotle's understanding of friendship, Paul wanted to see the, uh, the relationship of one believer with another as a relationship that one finds in a household, in a family between siblings. And it's interesting, Paul almost never uses the word father or mother for himself in a major way. He does use the image at times of both father and mother for his relationship to the believers in the churches that he's founded mm -hmm. and to the relationship he has with someone like Timothy. But fundamentally, Paul's relationship that he sees between believers is the relationship between brothers and sisters in a family. And so Paul's subverted friendship and reconfigured friendship into the language of family and siblingship. So this is this is amazing to me, is that we we need to see one another as siblings with one another, rather than as say uh, friends. Friends to me would be a transition. Mm -hmm. As we get to know people, we become friends with them. Mm -hmm. As we get to know believers, we become friends, and believers should be friends with one another. Plus more they shouldn't be less than friends with one another so I, i'm all for friendship as an important category but paul subverts friendship i believe as he moves the relationship of believers in jesus christ into the language of the family in particular the language of siblings yeah and i think that's so important too to understand the fact of this is the language that he uses to in, in a sense kind of clarify the expectations i love that you bring up in your definition of love being a rugged commitment and i know as you unpack in the book you talk about how it's this idea of covenant that really is foundational in our relationship with god that it is it is this commitment it is is this old testament chesed type of love this agape you know the the love that is um, sometimes described as as unconditional um, that that is so foundational to understand okay this is yeah you may start as friends you, you need to build that friendship but this is the direction that we're headed and this is the the way the relationship gets maintained into the future yep. I agree yeah. I agree with that yeah so it only makes sense I guess to move from friendships yeah. to siblings and in a sense what that does is that creates boundaries 
you know, I guess you could say in the best possible way, not, um, you know, not, not walls to separate, but, um, but it, it creates protection for somebody to understand themselves. Um, wh- what were ways that you found, um, Paul talk about siblings or maybe in your research about sibling relationships, how that functioned in boundary creation and informing identity? Yes. I mean, a family, if, when you start talking the language of siblings, you're not ta- talking about a relationship based on choice. It's not yeah. voluntary. Yeah, Although I think that was so important. <laughs> there is will. There is will involved. But this is, uh, you know, I have two sisters. They are my sisters uh, regardless. And this is what Paul wants to see going on in the church, is that we are siblings. And we don't choose who our siblings are. We are suddenly siblings with one another. And once you're siblings, then you are different than friends. Friends are, in a sense, outside the house. Siblings are in the house. And even when siblings are outside the house, they know they are in the house type relationships. Mm -hmm. So there is a boundary relationship. And I think it comes up, say, in a letter of Paul. Galatians 6, 10, you know, that we're to do good to all, but Paul says, especially to the household of faith. In 1 Corinthians 5 through 6, Paul, Paul wants it very clear that people who are in the church are not going to behave in certain ways. And when they do, there, there is church discipline. In the letter that Paul writes to Philemon, in which he puts him in a corner and uh, seeks to persuade him to make the right decision about Onesimus, at least the right decision, according to Paul. Paul is doing this all within the confines of a house church and a household and calling these people to have a specific kind of relationship with one another, that they are now siblings. He says, you're going to get Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother, as a sibling. Mm-hmm. So this transforms the relationship that we have with one another in, in among believers is that we see one another as siblings. Now, there are dysfunctional families mm-hmm. who kick who kick siblings out of the house, or we have we have siblings who don't talk to one another ever, who hate one another. Uh, we have siblings who have various forms of relationships. Um, and this is this is a part of it. This is also a part of the church. But yet, uh, we need to practice the discipline of seeing everyone who is in Christ as our sibling, people who disagree with us theologically, people who de- disagree with us politically, mm-hmm. people who live at a different economic level than we do, people who you know, are different than we are in in one way after another. Uh, They are still our siblings. And we are going to spend eternity with one another, enjoying the presence of one another. And it is a discipline of present life is to practice eternity or to practice heaven, uh, however you want to describe it, practice kingdom reality in the here and now by treating everyone who is in Christ even if we disagree with them theologically, and this is a bone that I want to pick with people, I don't think we should determine um, 
who can be our genuine siblings on the basis of some theological point. Um, John Piper and I disagree, uh, but he's my sibling in Christ. And I disagree with uh, T.D. Jakes, but he's my sibling in Christ. I disagree with lots of people, and lots of people disagree with me. I hope they treat uh, me, and I hope to treat them as siblings. I have a friend who sometimes, uh, uh, he calls me a couple a couple times a month, and he'll say things like this. I know we really disagree, and it's amazing. And I say, well, we're siblings in Christ, and that's why we, we need to talk with one another. Mm -hmm. So siblings are different in that they create a boundary community that allows us to form an identity with one another in our relationship with Christ. Uh, but that boundary is distinct. And I know there's a lot of people who do not like the in and out language. I do not know how anybody can read anything in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation and not see that there's a boundary community for those who are in the covenant, those who are in Christ, those who are in the spirit, those who believe in Jesus from those who don't. That's that's the way it is. Well, if it does anything, I think it definitely indicates, like you've talked about, the significance of what's at stake if those boundaries are broken. I mean, why, as you brought up, dysfunctional families, why are they so damaging? Because it 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 breaks something that is very significant for our own understanding of our identity and for formation as people and, and, and individuals. And as Paul leverages that language here, you know, what he's saying, and as you know, you've alluded to in people we may disagree with, what's more at stake is the sake of, of the future health of our community, of what it means of the people following Jesus, of the church, of the kingdom. Like th this is the, this is the significance uh, for us to be healthy in our relationships and, and interaction with each other and, and leaning into the sibling language that he does as, as the metaphor, right? You would call it a, a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a metaphor. L listen to this. I, I've heard pastors refer to people in the church as giving units. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard people, I've heard pastors refer to people in the church as customers. What happens, what happens when we see the people in the pews, in the seats, in our church, as giving units. Uh, that completely transforms our relationship. Mm. Uh, what happens when we see them as customers, that we have something that serves them and they come and get it and we get something in return from it? Isn't that what a customer is? What happens if instead of on our churches, I don't, I don't know anybody who does this, but I'm sure it's out there. There are, there are some of the, the greatest blog posts I've ever read are on church, uh, on church signs. Um, what, what happens if instead of we say the Church of Jesus Christ in Chicago, and we say um, the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in Chicago? I think. I think that's a different, I think that's a different idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we talk about one another as brothers and sisters, as siblings 
it begins to transform our relationship in the direction of family rather than, say, church, for, which for many people means an institution. But in the first century, it would mean a political gathering, a gathering of people with uh, political uh, aspirations. Uh, what happens when we change it, uh, when we change uh, our church sign from church to brothers and sisters or siblings? I think, I think we need to think about that as the potentiality of the metaphor transforming our, our um, perception of ourselves. Families are about love, um, genetic, uh, DNA, physical uh, realities and embodied people who love one another. Mm -hmm. It is also about harmony. One of the common words about family in the ancient world, siblings was harmony, concord, and cooperation. Um, families work together. They seem to have a system. My wife and I do, we, we don't have a big kitchen. Uh, and in the kitchen, when we're both doing something, we've learned uh, how to step in what direction. And we do a little dance without knocking one another over and without uh, bumping into one another and spilling things. And yet families also have, are known for discord and some conflict. Mm -hmm. And yet within a family, there tends to be leniency and forgiveness. So if it's, if it's a friend and a friend does something stupid, you can just ignore them for five years. Mm -hmm. So you happen to get bump into them. Again. <laughs> yeah. If it's a family member, you're going to have dinner. Tonight. Yeah. So there tends to be a, a capacity to be more lenient with our brothers and sisters. There should be anyway. And there's a, a there's an element of forgiveness that is recognized in the ancient world of people like uh, Plutarch and Aristotle, who talk about families, is that there's an element of forgiveness within that. And yet, Chaz, this is interesting. There is also a sort of order and hierarchy. Mm -hmm among siblings. It's, it's recognizable that the older male in the ancient world um, had a different relationship than the youngest female uh, to the rest of the siblings. And so we develop um, uh, an ordered relationship based upon, uh, let's say, our place in the family that makes us equals and yet that doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing mm -hmm. and have the same function or role or responsibilities in the family. My sister, my older sister, is the executive, executor of my uh, mother's will. She knows all the financial details, et cetera, more than I do. I, but that's my sister's responsibility. Um, and... Uh, and yet when it comes to travel or it comes to theology, they ask me questions. So this is this is uh, typical for sibling relationships is that people discuss things with one another, but yet at the same time recognize equality does not mean identity yeah. or identicalness. It doesn't mean that we're the same. It means that we have different functions. And this, I think Paul develops this family sibling uh, role relationship stuff in his understanding about spiritual gifts. Absolutely, which is exactly where I was hoping we would go because I feel yeah. like this um, 
this reality of existing within a community and more explicitly a family is the perfect ground for formation to take place. And this running theme of Christoformity that we've been talking to, um, it's kind of either make it or break it. Like if you really want to to have a, a, a good family, you, you definitely have to have elements of that. Uh, I just had the opportunity um, to perform a wedding and I always love getting to do that. And one of the things I say in every wedding that I do is that this opportunity that you have in your relationship isn't just for you to be happy because you certainly everybody's at least everybody should most everybody is certainly happy on their wedding day but it's more than just happiness it's actually holiness that you get the opportunity to experience because of of your relationship that you have to learn to sacrifice for each other to play different roles to put your own um pride and and your own um desires aside for the sake of of the other person so I guess um, as as you explore that, one of the questions, hopefully it'll make sense. And if it doesn't, I'll just go on to talking about, um, uh, you know, spiritual gifts. But I guess my question would be, does living like Christ form the church or does living in the church as siblings form the people to live like Christ? Well, I think that is a great question. And to me, this is this is where uh, individualism uh, needs to meet biblical realities mm-hmm. and actual realities that uh, that show that individualism is a reified category that actually is not what it thinks it is. Okay, so I'll put it this way: is we learn what a Christian life is fundamentally from being in relationship with other people who are living a Christian mm-hmm. life. Um, We might like to think that we can sit in our room and read the Bible uh, on our own and figure out what the Christian life is like or sit in our library and read our favorite writers. And yet, the minute you recognize that that's how you're figuring out what the Christian life is, you are in interaction at least with Jesus and the apostles, Mm -hmm. maybe all the writers, the prophets and and Moses and David and Solomon, etc. And if you are, then... You are learning about the the Christian life through relationships with other people. And if you're sitting here reading books, then it's just that category is blown apart. So, Chaz, it is true uh, that um, living like Christ helps form the church. But fundamentally, we are dyadic people. This is uh, a book by Susan Eastman, uh, a new book on this, I think, that is very, very helpful. And that is we... um, we learn the Christian life more from being in connection with other Christians in the fellowship of the church than we do uh, living it on our own. It is in relationship with others that we figure out what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to go to the you know spiritual gifts, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all of these things. That's the fruit, brother. That's the fruit of the spirit. What did I just say? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, fruit of the spirit, (laughs) Um, you know, this, this fruit of the spirit, like these are things that you you don't really experience those or embrace them in isolation. They're things that, that, that are communal and that if we want to experience them in, in full ways, then we need to be in community and, and the, the community of the family seems to be the way Paul describes it and the best way that they can be experienced. 
Yep, I totally agree, Chaz. Yeah. I think that's right. Is that the fruit of the spirit are relational morality. It's about interrelational, interpersonal relationships and the proper approach to living with one another as siblings in Christ. That's what the fruit of the spirit are about. Yeah, it's not about um, me and God all alone developing our personal relationship. For Paul, spiritual maturity was the maturity of learning to live with siblings in Christ in the right way. Yeah, and they can it can be the most challenging, but it's also the best of of the world that it has to offer. So, as we kind of wrap up, uh, Scott, any closing thoughts or or other elements of the sibling relationship in the church that you think Paul would maybe want our listeners to be aware of? Well, I think Paul would would be surprised at our discussion, um, in the sense that really you guys don't understand that uh, the fundamental relationship we have with one another is as siblings. So he'd say, "Okay, let's." Uh, Let's have a little conversation about that and get things straight to begin with. But I think I think it would be wise for us to explore sibling relationships in the ancient world, in our modern world, as um, a portal, a front porch for understanding the essence of what the Christian life is all about. Yeah. Absolutely. And we hope to do that. So uh, thank you, our listeners, for joining us. I want to let you know in our next episode, we will be building on here and talking about a culture of generosity. So um, if we are formed to do anything in a family, um, I think what Paul will want us to know is that it's to be generous and and what that looks like. So um, thanks so much for joining us, Scott. As we send everybody away, uh, why should they come back for our conversation on generosity? Because um, the essence of one of the fundamental characteristics of the Christian gospel is grace. Grace is about gift giving and reciprocity, and generosity is the expression of Christian of our Christian faith in one of its most embodied full forms. Absolutely. So you're not going to want to miss that. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Mm-hmm.